Hello and welcome to another special edition of Crown Conversations. I am your host, Robin. Today I am doing part two of my Pacific Division preview. Part three will not really be so much of a preview of the whole division as it will be mostly of just the California teams for Anaheim and San Jose, mostly due to scheduling issues. So today on the docket, I will be speaking with Kent Baskey from Nux Misconduct, a fellow SBN sister blog, and Jeff Paul from Hockey Buzz, and he will be previewing the Vegas Golden Knights. Down the middle, scores! First career goal, Austin Wagner. Here's Luff looking for his first, scores! Matt Luff, first NHL goal, and the Kings have the lead. What's Luff got to do with it? Welcome to another very special edition of Crown Conversation. We are previewing the Pacific Division, and this is part two of three. Today, I am joined by Kent Baskey from Nux Misconduct. Thanks so much for joining me today, Kent. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. So let's talk about the Canucks. They are a conundrum. Yeah, they're, uh, they're a challenge to be a fan of, that's for sure. I was looking at their roster. Um, almost everybody is listed at six foot one or taller. So they're a big team. Yeah, the, there's definitely been a, a, an effort by the the management to to make this team a little tougher to play against. You know, and this was a a criticism that went back to like 2011 when they got pretty much dummied by the Bruins. You know that they needed to have some guys that were gonna you know, not mess with the the scoring players and stuff like that. And it looks like they might have finally gone and done something about it this year. So, you know, bringing in a guy like Michael Furland and then, of course, Tyler Myers, which, you know, I think he's like seven foot three or something crazy like that. Well, no, not quite, but, you know, six foot eight, that's a big dude, you know. So, yeah, the the Canucks are going to be a little tougher, I think, this year. Not, you know, like, Philadelphia Flyers tough you know but uh just <laughs> especially in front of the net and stuff defensively they're not going to be pushovers so do you think their quote-unquote lack of size was a valid criticism I mean it's been eight years well yes and no I mean obviously there should be you know I don't really buy into the whole deterrent narrative because I think that guys are going to do dirty hits. I mean, we saw it in the preseason when, you know, we had Brock Besser and uh, Oscar Fantenberg both get run from behind, get concussed, and, you know, no suspensions for either. 
player that uh, did it from the guys from Ottawa that hit them. So, you know, that being said, I think overall it's probably, you know, a good thing that they're getting a little bit more, you know, tougher because when you look at the the situation that happened with Elias Pettersson last year, where the guy picked him up and slammed him to the ice, there was no response. So while they're not necessarily looking for guys who are going to go out and fight every night, you know, guys know that Michael Furland is going to be on them like a, like a pit bull if they try and touch Patterson this year. So that's good. You know, maybe it creates some room for him and, uh, you know, helps him out. You know, you don't want to see guys like Patterson or, or Besser getting, you know, cheap shotted, you know, it, they're guys who are like stars in the league and you don't want them to be getting injured by, you know, fourth line guys or whatever. Yeah, it seems like Vancouver has quite a bit of grit on their roster. I mean, you've got Tim Schaller, Brandon Sutter, Michael Furland, and and uh, Tyler Myers. I mean, you got definitely no shortage of grit. Yeah. Well, I don't know about Sutter because honestly, he never stays healthy enough long enough for us to know what we have in him. But you know, if if we could get a sixty-game season out of him, I'd probably be pretty happy. Well, as happy as I could be with Brandon Sutter, anyways. But I'm trying not to be mean to him this year because we <laughs> I already got called out on uh, they did a a version of mean tweets, and uh, he called me out on YouTube for mocking his uh country music goal song so yeah that that was not good but uh it was good for the blog anyways but hey free publicity right yep yep gotta take it when you can get it for sure um so you have old friends tanner pearson and oscar fantenberg on the roster this year pearson came over last year in a trade so in the and the limited amount that you've seen him, does he fit in with the team? I think so. I think he's going to be a good fit on that second line. You know, he seems to have some real chemistry with Bo Horvat. So, um, you know, unfortunately, it's not going to include uh, Sven Berti this year. But um, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, he had a, a decent run for his limited time with the Canucks last year. And if he can build on that, that would be great. Uh, as far as Vantenberg, we didn't get to see too much of him before he got injured. Um, so, you know, it's it's going to be kind of a wait-and-see thing. You know, it's it's going to be tough for him to get in with the guys that they have right now. Like, I guess the seventh guy, you know, he's going to have a few nights in the press box and stuff. So when he does get an opportunity to play, he's going to have to impress. On defense, there's uh, the star, Quinn Hughes, obviously not as good as his brother, <laughs> or is well, that is that questionable? <laughs> see, here's the thing. Like, there's going to be a lot of people talking about uh, Jack Hughes and about Capo Caco, but I think they're going to kind of forget that Quinn is also a rookie as well because he only played, I think, seven games last year. So he's very much, should be very much in the discussion for Rookie of the Year. And, and like I've said that, you know, he could really be a dark horse candidate if he continues to progress. You know, we've seen little flashes of it so far. And, um, you know, just the one thing to really watch with him, skating. 
he, this kid is an amazing skater and you know, his ability on, on the ice to be able to make plays because of his skating is what's going to set him apart from a lot of the other rookies. So he's, he's really fun to watch and I'm, I can't wait for him to get his first goal because it's going to, you know, maybe open the floodgates a little bit. He's had some chances, but you know, he's a creative kid, sees the ice really well. And, uh, we haven't had a defenseman like this really ever, you know. I mean, we did have Luke Bourdon. He thought he could have been, you know, a superstar type defenseman for us. But, you know, unfortunately, he was killed uh, very early on in his career and uh, never got to see his full potential. But um, so fingers crossed for for Hughes and uh, hopefully his, his first full season is a good one. I remember watching him during World Juniors and he's just he's just a remarkable player. I mean, everybody was talking about Jack, but I was like, yeah, but Quinn is also really amazing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, talented family. And they get to play against each other really early, too. We play uh, against New Jersey uh, on the Canucks first road trip. So that should be a lot of fun. Ooh, brother versus brother. Yeah, we're we're used to having them on the same team. So this is a new twist for us. It'll be it'll be good. So in net, is Markstrom pretty much the number one guy, or is this really going to be Demko's year to shine? Oh, I I think it's still Markstrom for sure. He had a he had a really kind of a breakout season last year, which you know the Canucks wouldn't have had a prayer. Uh, of you know staying in the playoff race as long as they did without uh, the play of Markstrom last year, so you know it was good because it, this was the kind of goalie that they thought they were getting in him in the first place when they made the trade. So for him to finally be able to put together some wins like he did, you know, uh, I think they probably ended up playing him a few more games than they wanted to because uh, they had Anders Nilsson. And he just could not win a game for them last year. It was pretty bad. And um, when they did have Demko, he had some injury issues, so he didn't get to play quite as much as he would have liked. So, you know, I think this year they're going to try and give Demko a few more starts and, uh, you know, not give uh, Markstrom quite the workload he had last year, which I think will be good. No risk of him getting tired. And if these two play the way they're capable of, you know, as long as they get some help with the defense, playoffs aren't, you know, a complete write-off. I still have my doubts that they're going to be able to make it because it's a pretty strong division. But overall, you know, they could they could be close. But are they close enough? That's the question. And a lot of it hinges on, on the defense and, and, you know, getting scoring from their bottom six. Do you feel that the Canucks are a bubble team? Yeah, but it's like right on the outside of the bubble kind of thing, you know. Um, They were sort of close last year, but, you know, it wasn't really like a lot of things would like a lot of things would have had to go right. And if they can stay healthy, which, you know, I mean, they've been probably one of the worst teams for injuries over the last four years. If they can stay healthy and get some quality defensive play out of the guys that they have, get the goaltending that they got last year, get a bit more scoring out of their bottom six and the top six guys do what they're supposed to do. You know, 
they might have a shot. But might is probably the best thing we can hope for right now because it's it's certainly not a given. Well, crazier things have happened, like St. Louis winning the Stanley Cup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is true. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody. No, no, definitely. Travis Green was elevated into the role of head coach for this team, but he did a really great job in Utica. So what do you think is kind of like in store for this team this year, especially, I mean, cause I feel like Travis Green, he's kind of underrated as a coach. Yeah. You know, I, I like the job that he did in Utica. And I, I think that especially last season with all the injuries they had and the personnel that they had for them to be able to, you know, be in the, in the mix as long as they were, you know, it was pretty, underappreciated coaching job by him you know he, he didn't have a lot to work with and you know he made the most of it really um that being said they did make some changes this year you know they brought in Myers and uh Jordy Ben on defense and then uh JT Miller is new this year and uh Furland so you know there, there are some different players. The rest of the guys, they know what to expect. As far as Travis Green, you know, he, he, he works his teams hard, and, and he, what he really wants, and this is one thing that they were talking a lot about today, was they want to be one of the hardest teams to play against. Maybe they're not going to win every game, but if you're going to beat them, you got to earn it, type of thing. And, and for me as a fan, that's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear this whole, oh, yeah, our goal is to win the Stanley Cup when you can take a look at the lineup and go, well, that's not going to happen, you know. So, But if they tell me that they're going to go out and try every night and work harder than the other team, and if they can back that talk up, then I'm a happy guy, you know. It doesn't take much to make me happy. But uh, if if we can see better effort than we've seen out of these teams over the last few years... I think that's going to help, you know, start bringing the fans back. And I mean, this is a big season for the Canucks with it being their 50th anniversary. And there's a lot going on, you know, the Sedins getting their numbers retired and all of that stuff. So it's, you know, making the playoffs in this season would probably be a huge thing for the fans. Probably more than the team, even, I think. Be like icing on top of the cake. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> So you've got a few stars on the team, um, you know, with, with Hughes and Patterson and Horvat, but who's somebody who is probably, who flies more under the radar, somebody who does make a difference, but just kind of doesn't really get the accolades that some of the big guys get. Hmm. Well, that's hard to say. I mean, you know, I, I think Brock Besser like a lot of people know him, you know, especially the all-star game performance he had a couple of years ago, but I think he's due for a big season without a doubt. Um, there's going to be a lot of uh, eyes on Jake Bertanen this year, kind of a make or break season for him, you know, and uh, he's going to need to, to really step up in his bottom six role and show that he can be, a contributing part of this core going forward or you know they're going to probably end up looking to maybe move him 
Um, I have to say, uh, like, he's injured right now, and he probably won't be back until November. But uh, adding Antoine Roussel last year was a, a bit of a shock at how well he played. He, he had a really solid season for the Canucks. And, uh, you know, I was surprised because, you know, all I knew was just I knew Anton Roussel, the pest kind of guy. But, you know, he, he's actually a, a half-decent offensive player. And uh, when before he got hurt, he had, had been doing quite well, you know, and had good chemistry, um, you know, especially with uh, Bo Horvat. He played... Horvat played with everybody last year, basically. But, you know, I mean, to get, it, like, 31 points out of a guy like Antoine Roussel in, in 65 games, you know, especially for the amount of money that they signed him for, that's not that's not too bad at all. That was a pretty decent pickup by the Canucks. So I think if, if he comes back from his injury and, you know, picks up where he left off last year, um, he's, he's the kind of guy that can you know, chip in offensively. He's good defensively, brings a little bit of grit. So, you know, he's a, he's a real Travis Green type of player. I feel like a half point per game player for the bottom six is pretty much ideal. That's kind of exactly what you want in your bottom six. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And especially if you're not paying him $6 million a season too. So, (laughs) Yes, that's but definitely a, a a bonus. <laughs> we're not we're not going to talk too much about Louis Erickson tonight. Oh, Louis! Uh, oh, I remember him from his Bruins mm. days, and so there, there's a little bit of nostalgia there. Yeah, for sure. He, you know, I think he's could... had too many concussions. He, he's it just looks he's had one too many, and he's just never quite the same after one of them. Like, and then he he after he left Boston. And it was just like, I don't know. He was never quite that same player. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the problem. Why with the um, the cuts that the Canucks made this week, where uh, Berchi and uh, Nikolai Goldovin got sent down to Utica, was like, you know, maybe they didn't have the greatest camp, but by every possible measurement, they certainly outplayed Erickson. And a couple other guys, for that matter, but you know, they yep. uh, they don't kill they don't kill penalties, unfortunately, which Louis Erickson does. He's not bad at it. He's not the world's greatest penalty killer, but he does kill them. So you know, that's that's the situation where we're in. I mean, it's great for Utica. I mean, they have a bit of an issue with too many of the. Uh, veterans so you know some guys are going to be sitting nights because you don't want a guy you know guys like Sven Berchi and and Nikolai Goldovin sitting in the press box in the AHL if you don't have to right but you know so it'll make it'll make the the job that they have in Utica tougher you know as far as putting together lineups and stuff like that but I saw a quote uh from Jim Benning saying something to the effect of there's too many skilled players on Vancouver's roster. And it was yeah, an interesting quote. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, I'm while I'm happy with the fact that we have some players that are skilled, 
I'm not quite sure we're at the point where we can start saying things like, well, we have so much, we can afford to throw some away, <laughs> you know. Um, maybe uh, general managers who haven't made the playoffs in four years should, you know, shouldn't be saying things like that, I think. That's no, just me. But, yeah, it's... I, I still don't, like... Of of all the signings that they've made over the last couple of years, re-signing him this past year after missing the playoffs for a fourth straight year just made zero sense to me. I cannot wrap my head around it still. Like, if they went through this season and then, because this was supposed to be the last year of his contract, and then they make the playoffs, re-sign him, fine. I can accept that, but you know, rewarding him after a fourth straight miss—just how how low is the bar here? That's so I don't know. Well, it's never easy with management, no. and they they never do things that you you quite understand. I mean, I look at my own team, and I'm going, yeah, but why? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm sure Todd McClellan is great, but definitely when Rob Blake announced that, I was like, mm, are you sure? You sure you don't want to keep looking? Well, I mean, anything after Willie is a step up. And we're, <laughs> we're, we're so sorry. We're so sorry you had to go through that. I mean, at least it was over quick for you. We, we sat through three years of Willie, and I'm telling you, it was, it was, Pretty, pretty bad, to quote Willie. Um, yeah. <laughs> My deepest uh, sympathies for you guys. I, I now understand why Canucks fans were so miserable during those three years. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Willie, Willie was a head scratcher for sure. Yep. But hey, it, it got us to tank. And I'm like, Rob Blake said that he didn't bring in Desjardins to tank, but no, he he totally did. Yeah. I mean, come on now. Like that, <laughs> that was like the most blatant thing that I've seen in years. I mean, you don't, can't fool us. Come on. But no, I mean, and the thing is, is like, Willie's a nice guy. And he, as a junior coach, he's one of the best. But I think his, even though he had success in the AHL, what he's doing just wasn't translating up here. And, uh, you know, there was some coaching decisions where, you know, he was pretty stubborn and, and not willing to to be flexible with lines and this unhealthy obsession with trying to make Jason Magna a thing uh-huh. was, yeah, it was pretty traumatic for everybody. But, you know, as Canucks fans, we are used to trauma. It's been our life. I mean, I've been a Canucks fan, I think, since 1973 when we moved to BC. So, yeah, I'm used to it. By all accounts, what's really interesting is that you said he was really stubborn. Is that by all accounts in LA, uh, the players, the veteran players, just would not listen to him and they completely did their own thing. So he had like no spine, according to the reporters in LA. They just totally used him as their doormat and he let them. Yeah. I think we kind of maybe broke him. Oh, you know? or Willie. So, yeah. 
but you know, I'm sure he's happy back in Medicine Hat. So, well, I'm sure he'll find a landing spot in the NHL again one day if he wants oh, yeah. to. Because you know, they never actually go out and find <laughs> new talent. They just recycle all the old, same old guys, and they they get on as an assistant coach somewhere, and then four or five years later, they get their shot. Yeah, Everybody basically. talks about how great it is, and the same teams keep winning the cup. <laughs> so what's the, moving on from poor Wheelie, um, <laughs> what's the overall outlook for, a realistic outlook, not a super pessimistic, and not like everything's happy, sunny, whatever, but a realistic outlook for Vancouver this year? I know you said that they are kind of, maybe an outside looking in bubble team, but yeah. Uh, anything beyond that? Um, well, I think, you know, as far as like, I, I would love to see them make the playoffs again. I would, I just don't know with, with the defense that they have and, and scoring, if they're going to get enough scoring, because last year they were really hurting for scoring. So it will get a bit better this year. Is it going to be enough? That being said, I think Elias Pettersson is going to show that his rookie season was not even close to what he's capable of doing. I mean, he showed up at camp and he was like physically larger. <laughs> like the the boy had done some work over the summer. You know, it was kind of like the like I saw people comparing it to the scene in Captain America where Steve Rogers is this skinny little wimp one day, and then all of a sudden he's just ripped, you know? So um, he certainly, like in, in the play that we saw during the preseason too, he looks a lot stronger on the puck. And I think that was something that, and, you know, his work ethic is just ridiculous. Like he spends hours practicing his shot after practice and stuff like that. And it's just, he's always fine-tuning little aspects of his game. So, for him to go out and do something like that in the off season, not a shock at all. Um, you know, I, like I said, I, I don't know if they're going to have what it takes to get over that line, you know, especially not just because they're in a tough division, but because the central is just filled with beasts. And, you know, if, if they can, if they, if they can somehow get a fourth team from the Pacific to be in that final eight, Maybe they're one of them, but you know, a lot of things have to go right for them. And this is a franchise that is not used to things going right for them, no matter how hard they try. Yeah. The central is definitely ridiculously stacked. Yeah. Um, okay. So I know that as of the time of this recording, LA and Vancouver don't see each other for another week, but uh, it's always a big, tough physical game. Almost always it's close, and almost always there's a ton of penalty minutes between both teams when whenever they see each other. What do you think an early like early prediction outcome, or maybe not even outcome, but just kind of like early prediction of what might happen in that game? Well, I think they're going to be fired up. It's the it's the first home game. It's the anniversary game against the team they played in their very first game. So oh. they're going to be, they're going to be psyched to come out and put on a show for the fans. So, you know, I think LA is going to have their hands full with them because they're going to have the Canucks 
firing on all cylinders. Will there be a ceremony? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Then, then that definitely sways the game in Vancouver's favor. Yeah. I. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot of them this year, actually. So it should be interesting. They've got a lot of different events planned through the course of the season and stuff, you know, going through the different eras of the team and stuff like that. So 50 is definitely a big season. Teams yep. love to celebrate and they love to sell merchandise to celebrate. Yeah, it's nothing like buying a jersey and then the next year it's already outdated. Basically. <laughs> All right. Um, so do you have any prediction for this season, just in general? I think uh, I think it's going to be fun. Whether or not they can actually make the playoffs, that's another story. But this team is becoming fun to watch, and that's going to make it a little easier because they're not just rebuilding a core. I think they're rebranding the team in, in general, and so they're bringing in guys that are, you know, they're not just good players. You know, they're actually guys that people from other teams, uh, you know, other fan bases appreciate and like to watch. You know, guys like Bo Horvat and Pedersen and Besser and Quinn Hughes. I mean, you know, they're going to they're gonna be a draw around the league again. Things are definitely looking up for Vancouver then. Yeah, it's getting there. It's It's slow. It's not moving quite as fast as some of us would like but you know we're we've waited a long time we're patient it just make sure you do it right that's all we ask well kent thank you so much again for coming on it was such a pleasure to talk all things connects with you excellent very happy to uh, have been here and uh, good luck to uh, you and your kings this year and we'll see you on uh, the ninth Thanks again so much to my guest, Kent. And we will be right back with Jeff Paul from Hockey Buzz. Welcome back to a very special edition of Crown Conversations. I am joined by Jeff Paul from Hockey Buzz to talk all things Vegas. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. I almost said Paul. I apologize. It's been happening my whole life. You're okay. So it's one of those things you're used to by now, huh? Yep. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Vegas, they're the new bad guys of the Pacific Division. The bad guys, huh? Well, you got this uh, growing rivalry with San Jose that I guess started in the playoffs. And, uh, of course, you know, L.A. doesn't like you a whole lot. I don't know about Anaheim, but I feel like, really, Las Vegas has become the new kind of evil guy that everybody likes to hate on probably all because they are so good yeah a little bit of jealousy on there possibly well i mean a team that is completely loaded down with stars mark stowe max pacioretty paul statsny there's gonna be a little bit of jealousy and a little bitterness yeah it's real rough for them you know having to get by with those kinds of players in the top six Oh, yeah. Let's not even mention William Carlson. Yeah, I I still can't believe to this day how good he ended up being. Yeah, it's crazy the the path that some players take. And I guess it just goes to show you that some players really do truly 
respond well or respond better to certain coaches. I mean, he was really good in Anaheim. And then they traded him to Columbus, which was a mystery to me. And then he ended up in Vegas. And I'm like, we got rid of you when you were still good. Why'd you have to come back? Yeah, he's he's pretty interesting to me just because I don't know if it's the location change, which he's told me numerous times that he loves it here. And he can't see himself moving, even if they didn't give him the long-term contract. He said he really loves Vegas. Or if it's uh, his weird budding relationship with Jonathan Marcheseau, those two are just, they have seemed to be separated at birth. And they got reunited in Vegas, and they've just completed each other. I mean, Marcheseau is already a 20-goal scorer in Florida, which says a lot considering it's Florida. But it looks like he and Carlson are really thriving with each other. Is it just kind of one of those things where they just they started playing together and then they suddenly clicked? It just looks like, yeah, it, it looks like something happened when the whole uh, Shipchev drama unfolded with Vegas, their first failed Russian import, and Carlson was thrust into that role and they just hit the ground running. You know, they just had instant chemistry and you see that chemistry off the ice in the locker room and just the way they are with each other and in different VGK promo shoots, you could just see that chemistry they have. And they just, the two of them just truly love being around each other and that can't hurt your on ice product. And I think that has a lot to do with why they play so well together and why they're elevating each other's games. That's sweet. It's a budding romance. It's a bromance. Sorry. It's the new Jeff Carter and Mike Richards. Oh, that's a sore subject for me being a lifelong Flyers fan. A Flyers fan who is also a Vegas fan. Yeah. I was trans. I was transplanted to Vegas back in 2007, you know, starting my college career out here. And, uh, just kind of hung around ever since, but you really can't wash the stink of being a Flyers fan off of you. You're stuck with it for life. Some things never change. Yep. All right. Vegas, they finished third in the Pacific Division last year. Where do you see them winding up this year? So I just happened to finish a Pacific Division power ranking article, and Uh, I have Vegas at number one in the division with the addition of Mark Stone for a full season uh, pending good health, I think really gives them that top loaded, that strong top six where very few teams can match up with that. And then because of Mark Stone, their third line has really good players who could be second liners on other teams in Cody Eakin and Alex Tuck. And their top nine is very hard to replicate. Yeah, I was talking to um, a Calgary fan, and it seems that Calgary and Vegas are probably two of the deepest teams really in the league this year. Yeah, Calgary is very good as well. Sean Monahan had a huge season. You know, with playing with Johnny Hockey, you're, you're bound to get some good looks and rack up some assists. And, uh, I think Vegas is a little deeper. Their defense still kind of worries me, which it's still not a completely painted picture at this moment. 
They just sent down Nick Haig to the AHL, who I really thought was going to make this club out of camp. And we still got guys like Derek Anglin and Nick Holden around who are getting, they're getting older. They're not the most dynamic players. So I think the defense is really one area of question for the Golden Knights heading into this season. It'll be good enough because of how good their forwards are. But if they really struggle on the blue line, then Calgary could possibly jump them and, and hold on to their Pacific Division Championship. Do you see any issues in that pending good health? Pending good health? Marc-Andre Fleury's, as painful as it is for me to admit it, being a Flyer fan, and he was a Penguin for all those years, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury's one of the best goalies you'll find to this day, even with all of those games on his body. The main thing for Vegas is to trust Malcolm Subban a little bit more, let him play more throughout the season so he can stay sharp in the event that Fleury needs a few days off or worst case scenario, he gets hurt for an extended amount of time. You need Malcolm to be ready. But the problem here is that Fleury's just a gamer. He really likes playing. He wants to play as much as he can. So the team's going to need to save him from himself and give him some rest and that way he'll be at the top of his game come playoff time. God forbid there is an injury, knock on wood, and hopefully there's not. I never wish anybody to get injured, but, you know, God forbid there is because this is a, a rough game. Especially, uh, especially on goalies. Yeah, especially on goalies. Who fills in? Who Who's who's the first call-up? Garrett Sparks or Oscar Dansk? Ooh, that's a tough one. And I was actually having a nice long debate about this with uh, one of our radio correspondents for CBS Radio. She's a former Division One goaltender, so she has very strong goaltending opinions, and she loves Oscar Dansk. And I just feel that Garrett Sparks' experience would get him the first call, unless he's playing at a level that's just unacceptable at the AHL level, but those two are going to be operating as a 1A, 1B type scenario down there. So it really, I think it would come down to whoever was playing the best at that moment and they would get the call because I don't think one or the other really has an upper hand at this point. Dansk is obviously a Golden Knights guy. He's been in the system, so they might give him the first look, but at the same time, Sparks has played in the NHL and he's had more than 20 games in a season in the, at the NHL level. So it, it would really come down to a judgment call there for Kelly McCrim and the GM. And then Gerard Gallant gets a big say in it as well. I'm sure. Oscar dance. I mean, he, he did have that really interesting brief blip in the NHL when yeah, it he like, had those few games. Yeah. When all of your goalies broke in the first season. Yeah. Fun times. My team has been there. I've seen five goalies go down with a groin injury. Uh, it's it's very strange to see everybody just go down the line and fall like dominoes and get hurt. Yeah, it's just a big old injury outbreak. And the Kings had that last year for sure, losing uh, Quick and losing Campbell so early in the season. Yes, but they persevered to the number five spot of suckiness. <laughs> <laughs> How does Alex Tuck change the look of this team? 
Alex Tuck is honestly one of my favorite players to watch. Every day on the practice rink, he's just I'm partial to that that big power forward who has the silky hands and moves way faster than he looks like he should. Kind of like a uh, Wayne Simmons back when he was still in his prime. You know, just the bigger guy who can skate with the best of them, and he uses his body very well, uh, making power moves to the net and kind of shielding off defenders. And he actually did that to Drew Doughty in the preseason game that just passed. He made a nice power move to the net and kind of gave Doughty a stiff arm. And uh, to see him with that kind of confidence against a former Norris Trophy winner and Drew Doughty, it's just the sky's the limit for him. The only problem is he has had some injury issues at uh, the beginning of last season, and he's currently out week to week. So he's he's going to miss the season opener two years in a row. Well, maybe it's a good thing considering that uh, Vegas is playing the Sharks and there's a little bit of bad blood between them right now. Just a tad. <laughs> just a little, you know, just a chasm the size of the the Grand Canyon. Well, the team has been kind of driving a little bit of a marketing train on sending the message that it's not really a rivalry. They don't really look at it like a rivalry. And uh, it's more or less a creation of the media and the fans. But and the head coach, Gerard Gallant, passed that message along in a, the pregame press conference before the Sharks game. And then we saw how that Sharks game went. We ended up with over 100 combined penalty minutes. So it's clearly a rivalry. Both teams know about it. Both teams think about it. And uh, Wednesday night's going to be pretty insane. But Evander Kane being suspended for three games is a little bit of an extinguisher on that because he is the uh, he's really the one guy on San Jose who will go out of his way to be feisty and be aggressive. So without him there... We could get a couple games, uh, two games in a row of, you know, just sound hockey and two good high-talent high teams playing against each other. But with Ryan Reeves in the lineup and William Carrier, who just likes to slam his body into anybody and anything that he can as fast as he can, uh, temperatures, temperatures sure will boil. It just depends on how out of control it'll get. Yeah, and then there's also Derek England, who the Sharks fingered as the instigator in that game, in that preseason game. And I was noticing Derek throughout the game, it looked like any chance he got to give a little jab at Evander Kane, he did. And by the time the third period rolled around, I was not shocked at all to see Evander Kane, you know, kind of blow his lid and fall off the deep end you know he just sees red at a certain point and it didn't shock me because earlier in the game Valentin Zikov out of all people Valentin Zikov got into a little jousting match with him on the benches they get matching minors come out of the box and Evander Kane makes him answer for it and they fight Evander gets a couple punches in on him and then throughout the rest of the game you know everybody was kind of poking at Evander Kane but it seemed like Derek Anglin was trying to be a little more of an agitator than we've seen in the last couple of years, you know, kind of looking like he did back in his penguin days where he was more of a fighter and more of a, a tough guy than he has been so far in Vegas. 
I'm glad you brought up Valentin Zikov. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of our old friends, which is Zikov and McNabb. McNabb really struggled in L.A. Um, Dean Lombardi, he described McNabb as a, or something about a, like a, a, a tiger with claws rather than paint the stripes. I don't remember how the, the set, what he said. He said something really weird and very Dean Lombardi-esque. <laughs> but my point is, McNabb, people were kind of see, glad to see him go because he was, he had a tendency to kind of get out of position to make that big hit. What have you seen from him in Vegas? You know, he's not, he's not one of the young guys, but it seems like he might just be one of those guys that took a little bit longer to get it. I mean, I've watched, I used to watch some McNabb in LA and I liked his game. I liked how he liked to be physical and, I'm always partial to a to a good defenseman in his own zone. You know, it's fun to watch the puck movers, but you need a guy who's able to shut it down in his own end. And I kind of liked the pick for McNabb because he was that guy that they could have with the puck movers that they were bringing in with Nate Schmidt and Shea Theodore and guys like that. Um, it seems like now Braden McNabb does a better job of knowing when to go for that hit making sure he's got coverage and just making that split decision faster than he was. And you got to admit, it's very fun to watch him approach that blue line and make that big hip check. And I mean, they've got to have so many clips of Braden McNabb doing that in the, in the video editing room. It's, it's insane. It was fun to watch him when he was doing it without actually putting his teammates in a bad position, which more often than not occurred while he was in LA. And LA really liked that about him, that he would go for that big hit, that he was able to be more of a shutdown defenseman. It just feels like he never really quite got it while he was, while he was here in, in Los Angeles. Yeah. It seems like now he's just a little bit smarter about when he picks his, his spots and, not really exposing the team because he is looked at as one of the better defensemen in their own end. So he knows that's his role. He's the shutdown guy. He's the, he's the stay at home D man that they can rely on. And I think because he was looked at that way coming in, he's really embraced it more than he may have in Los Angeles for whatever reason. God, that's so wild to me. <laughs> Okay. Seems like uh, a lot of players took Vegas as an opportunity to fulfill their potential. Yes, I I remember hearing something about that. They've got a chip on their shoulders. Yeah, I used to think that was a little more of a marketing thing, you know, like a rally cry sort of deal. But the more you see these different players and what they've turned into and how that season went and how they've kind of continued it since then and you know, for me personally, being in the locker room and talking to these guys and, you know, knowing them a little bit closer, their personalities and that kind of thing. It's some it's something weird about that locker room where they're just loose. They all they really enjoy each other on and off the ice. And it just seems like it was the perfect time for some of these guys to get shipped out of their former teams and just go, oh this is my chance to really make a statement. 
So it seems like the whole chip on their shoulder, turning it around, you know, becoming that guy that they should be has happened to a couple players in particular, like William Carlson and like Brady McNabb and John Merrill's been playing great hockey and Shea Theodore is just turning into exactly what he was supposed to be, which is just a dynamic offensive defenseman who doesn't get beat in his own zone very often. He's surprisingly good in his own end for a a 23-year-old offensive-minded player. Yeah, Shea Theodore is, he's so good. Yeah, it's its very surprising that they were able to swing the trade to get him from the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, that, that one blew my mind. I was like, Murray, what are you doing? Yeah, that's thats definitely a head-scratcher. Uh, I'm pretty sure George McPhee, when uh, he stepped down from being the GM and promoted Kelly McCrimmon, I think that may have come from the league. You know, all the GMs had to have complained for about a year or so for all those deals that he tricked them into and how Vegas ended up so good. And they said, hold on a second. We just got to get this guy out of a GM spot because he fleeced us all. And we shouldn't have let it happen. So we we need to get him out of the mix. An interesting theory. <laughs> Conspiracy theories. I love them. Okay, Valentin Zikov, he was kind of seen as a potential good power, power forward. forward. And Zikov a- looks like he's got really good hands around the net. He likes to be around the net, and that's when he seems to be at his best. Yeah, he's a, he's an interesting case. Uh, former L.A. prospect, he seemed to flourish really well in L.A.'s AHL system but he struggled quite a bit in Carolina. They were actually quite disappointed with him as as a player because he was pretty good with the checkers, but he kind of seemed a little bit lost up with the Canes. I'm a little bit surprised that he actually made the roster this year for the for for Vegas. Vegas is pretty deep down the middle uh throughout the organization, you know, with Cody Glass waiting in the wings and Peyton Krebs was their first round pick this year, uh, who's also another center. So they're pretty deep at center, but on the wings, they don't really have that many options waiting to get the call. Uh, Keegan Colsar is one guy who is a pretty good forward. He's tough. He'll lay the big hits, but he also has some skill to him. Not as truly elite as Evander Kane's puck skills are, but he's kind of that same type of player, like a, like a Kane or like a Simmons or a Tom Wilson, where they love the physical side of the game, but they can also do some stuff with the puck. So he just got sent down recently. Um, but aside from him, the wing, the wing depth throughout the organization, uh, aside from the overseas guys who haven't made the jump to North America yet, it's kind of limited. And Zekoff has shown some skill in his games that he has gotten. Um, And he ended up, it looks like as of right now, if Alex Tuck were healthy, if Cody Eakin were healthy, that Zikov would have won the wing spot that was rumored to be open or expected to be open, that he won the competition between he and Brandon Peary, who Brandon Peary came up last year from Chicago in the AHL, and he just lit the league on fire his first couple weeks. And it looked like Zekov beat him out for that spot this season throughout camp and throughout the preseason. What did you see from Zekov in camp that really stood out to you? 
Zikov, uh, his personality, he's very quiet. He keeps to himself. You know, he's not that kind of aggressive, you know, in-your-face type of guy. But this this offseason, this preseason and camp and all that, he really looks like he's asserting himself more on the ice. And he's really getting into the play and driving the net and not just kind of coasting around and trying to find his place. He looks like he's seizing it and he's he wants that job. He didn't like sitting last season. He didn't like being waived by two different teams. So it looked like throughout camp this this time, he's been a lot more aggressive. He's been more decisive in his decision-making, and he hasn't been shying away from the puck. He's, he's best when he has the puck on his stick or when he's around the net, and he's been making a concerted effort to do those types of things, and it's really been paying off for him. I wonder if he's another one of those guys who just kind of, it took him a little bit longer to get it. I mean, he's not old. He's only 24. Yeah, still very young. It's possible that he was just trying to find out how to work his game, and he hasn't really gotten extended chances at the NHL level. It's been a handful of games here and there. So I'd be interested to see what he does with a full season or at least a month worth of a month's worth of games to see if he can establish himself as a full-time player, but he definitely has the skills. You see him flash throughout practice. You see him flash in drills. He's got a very good wrist shot, very quick release, and he'll go bar down on you. I mean, I've seen him light up Marc-Andre Fleury in practice. Like He can do the things that he needs to do, but it's a matter of consistency and it's a matter of him asserting himself and not taking a backseat to guys that he thinks maybe he's not up to their level yet, or he's the new guy, or he's still trying to fight for his spot. It seems like this summer he's he's comfortable, and he's just being a little bit more aggressive, and that's really been the one change I've noticed in him, is that he just seems way more adamant about taking that spot. Definitely think he was, at least when I had a chance to um, see him when he was in Ontario, he was a little bit more... I don't know, cautious, maybe. Um, He didn't want to mess up, but his personality was very interesting to me when I saw him in Ontario with the rain. I mean, I asked him, I said, hey, what did you see on your goal? He said, I saw an open net, so I I shot the puck. Mm -hmm. He likes to keep it simple, it seems, um, which is good, you know, and he's not afraid to shoot the puck. And it's. I really do think it's just, an aggressiveness that he's picking up now. And I mean, you even see it on Sunday night where he's mixing it up with a Vander Kane, you know, on the physical side of the game. And if you were to force me to name a golden Knight who was the least likely to get into a fight with a Vander Kane, Valentin Zikov is probably at the top of that list for me. So it looks like he's got a renewed confidence. He's got, a little more of a mean streak in him. He's a little more aggressive. He's just asserting himself all around. And it's really looking like Vegas might luck out again and get the best Valentin Zikov that we've seen so far. I guess the house always wins, huh? Right. <laughs> and it's, I guess that's what uh, the whole saying is coming true. And who knows, maybe uh, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So maybe they'll sign him to a long-term deal and he'll... He'll just be a franchise icon for the rest of his career. Who knows? (laughs) 
uh, I, I guess uh, there's there's something in the water <laughs> out yeah. in Vegas, out in the desert. Yep, but as of right now, uh, for Wednesday night's opener, it looks like he will be on the third line on the wing. Uh, Vegas did change their lines up when Cody Eakin and Alex Tuck went down. At that point, the third line was going to be Eakin, Zikov, and Alex Tuck. Um, with the injuries to Eakin and Tuck, they changed the lines. They slid Paul Stasny from the second line to the third line. So now it's Paul Stasny centering two scoring options in Brandon Peary and Valentin Zikov. And then the second line, they just inserted Cody Glass in there in the event that Cody Eakin can't play. And as of this morning, uh, Gerard Gallant said he doesn't expect Cody Eakin to be playing on opening night. So it looks like Cody Glass will indeed make the team. He's he's still on the roster past the deadline for the salary cap. So it looks like he's going to be the 2C to start the season, at least until Cody Eakin's healthy. And uh, having a passing, uh, an elite passer like Paul Stasny in between two guys who just like to score and like to shoot the puck, uh, that third line can really open some eyes, especially against a team like the Sharks, who are very top-heavy. They have a good top line, good second line, but after that, it's, you know, a bunch of question marks. Mm, sounds really interesting. It's it's going to be fun to keep an eye on Vegas this year. I'm actually more interested to watch your team because <laughs> the Kings, when I was trying to rank the Pacific Division, I didn't know if I should put the Kings in second or if I should put the Kings in seventh. And I chose the latter because I was afraid to predict a big season out of the Kings. But the way Jonathan Quick looks right now, the way Jack Campbell had played last season, and I'm sure he's continuing his progression. And you can't ignore the veterans on on the Kings. You know, Drew Doughty is a great defenseman. Uh, Anze Kopitar was an MVP candidate. Dustin Brown looks like he has a renewed, like a little resurgence in him. Jeff Carter knows how to score. I mean, there's a lot of names on that team that can do some damage. And if those veterans show up and Jonathan Quick stays healthy and and Campbell stays healthy, I mean, the Kings could really be risers in that division. There's a lot riding on their veterans this year. Um, There's a lot, a lot of bad habits that have crept into their play over the last couple of years. And Rob Blake called it entitlement. Not entitlement in the sense that everything's given to them. Entitlement in the sense that they can just turn it on whenever they feel like it. And if you noticed, especially when they were playing Vegas in the preseason, as they'd go up by a couple of goals and just stop playing. And then as soon as things got even remotely difficult, the veterans just kind of shut down and it was up to the kids to really carry the team. So the, the best that I saw from the Kings in the preseason, frustratingly so, was from those bubble players who were trying desperately to make an impression and to try and make the team. So this team, in all sense of the word, is a wild card. We have no idea what they're going to be, what they're going to look like, what they're going to do. Can they bring it this year? Can they yeah. not suck for five minutes? Yeah, I agree. I, I couldn't agree more with that because, I mean, just the talent, 
that they have and the potential that they have is insane. And for Rob Blake to say it's entitlement, I mean, you should capitalize title in there because they have multiple Stanley Cup winners on that team. So they know what they need to do. They know they can do it. It's just a matter of actually putting in that effort and not kind of coasting to your uh, retirement, having Stanley Cups in your, in your, you know, in the bag already. Yep, that's exactly it. So, you know, I know that it's still a, a, a bit of ways away to for Vegas and um, L.A. to see each other, but do you got any early predictions for that for that game? That's pretty hard to uh, to narrow down, you know, because of the reasons we just said with your Kings. They're, <laughs> they're a little up and down. You never know which team you're going to get. And Vegas... They may have Tuck back. They may not have Tuck back. They may have Eakin. He may aggravate his injury. So if I had to assume both teams were healthy, Jonathan Quick is being Jonathan Quick. Uh, Man, I mean, a game between those two teams should be very close, very competitive, and really just come down to who wants it more. Uh, But I would have to lean towards a Vegas win. But as you know with hockey – Anything can happen on any given night and the Florida Panthers or the Anaheim Ducks or, you know, the Oilers, anybody can win on any night. It just depends on who's clicking and the matchup. But I feel like the Kings, despite recent playoff disappointments to the Golden Knights, I feel like the Kings are a team that can match up very well with them if they play that physical game and they keep up with the skating. But Vegas just, they keep coming and they keep forechecking and they're just relentless in their attack. So the way they're able to wear teams down, I would see them beating the Kings more often than they would lose to them. But it wouldn't shock me whatsoever if Jonathan Quick was able to shut out the Golden Knights and give the Kings a win. Oh, hockey, you never know what you're going to get with it. Gotta love it. Well, Jeff, I'd like to thank you again so much for coming on. It's going to be a really fun season. No, no problem. I enjoy talking hockey. I mean, I could sit here and talk all day about it. So as long as there's someone like you around to cut me off and uh, keep me from running on way too long, we're all good to go. I had a, I had a lot of fun talking to you today. All right. I appreciate you having me on. It was a good time. All right. Have a good one. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, we will not be previewing the California teams until much closer to the dates when the Kings will actually play them, mostly due to scheduling conflicts between yours truly and the bloggers who cover the Ducks and the Sharks. However, we do have another special edition of Crown Conversations with Kat Silverman, She and I will be talking about the Coyotes. So that will be fun. So stay tuned for that. That will be dropping tomorrow.